For many, it's a song that's actually sung. In fact, in our culture, it's something that actually is quite popular. And so, this morning, which is kind of referred to as Christmas Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, as Jeff read the, the passage out of Luke chapter 2, we're going to be focusing on verses 8 through 20. And the truth is, is that the lighting of this Advent candle on this Christmas Sunday actually is proclaiming that Christmas is near, because the next time that we're together will either be the lighting of the fifth candle, which marks that Christmas is present, or it will already be lit. And the truth is, is that this is a season, this time of Advent, for looking and slowing down and waiting in expectation and remembering the expectation of the Savior who came and the Savior who's coming again. Heart the Herald Angel Sing is a song that can be heard in a lot of places. Uh, our family went to the Snoopy's Ice Rink uh, skating demonstration. Why um, Elisa called it a recital for skating students, and that may well have been what it was. Um, so the instructors did a fantastic job in. Uh, the rest was watching uh, new skaters um, learn to skate <laughs> together. But it was enjoyable nonetheless. It was great. But the truth is, is that we talked about that the, the greatest part of this was that throughout the entirety of this whole skating demonstration were gospel-centered songs. And they, they just blared on the message of Christ coming through. And one of those was Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Heartbeat and Angels Sing is actually considered one of the, the four most popular and greatest Methodist hymns. It is uh, portrayed heavily in the movie It's a Wonderful Life. It's also portrayed heavily in A Charlie Brown Christmas. And part of it deals with the fact that because of its tune being upbeat, but the truth is, is that the song was written in 1739 by Charles Wesley, who was the brother of John Wesley. And the song was actually not written as a song, it was written as a poem. And Charles Wesley actually wrote the song in response to the, the church bells that he heard on Christmas morning as he walked to church in London the year after he had responded to the gospel and given his life to Christ. The poem was actually intended to be read in church on the following Christmas. That was its purpose. The word hark literally means to, to, to listen up. It carries with it the idea of stopping and listening up. The word herald is, is the idea of a messenger. And so the song is calling us to stop and listen to the proclamation of the messenger. And the messenger of the angel that tells us of the birth of Christ and the joyful hope of the gospel. So when we're declaring, hark the herald angels sing, what we're saying is stop, listen up to the message of the angel who is proclaiming the good news of Jesus. 
It was to be a hopeful song, and it was to be an exhortative song. That when we sang this song, we were to stop, and we were to listen. The truth is, is Wesley had given his life to Christ, and he wrote this song with the poor and illiterate mind. He wanted them to understand what sound doctrine was. And see, he wrote it in a language that was common to those who were able to understand the least. He simplified And this song was for the purpose of sharing with people the hope that comes through the gospel. And he understood that the call of every believer, every single believer, was to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And as a result, he rooted the song deeply in the angel's proclamation or heralding of the good news in Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. This song is actually comprised of seven verses. Today we sing often the three. And the main reason is the other four deal very distinctly with the salvation of Christ. And in it, Charles Wesley's desire was that as people sang the song, they might be confronted with the truth of the gospel, that the song itself would proclaim the truth of the gospel, and that those who were poor or illiterate, that couldn't read for themselves, would know the gospel and be able to respond. Well, if our call is to proclaim the gospel, here's the truth. Proclaiming the gospel reveals the importance of Jesus' birth and declares God's glory through the work of redemption in Christ our King. Proclaiming the gospel reveals the importance of Jesus' birth and declares God's glory through the work of redemption in Christ our King. The gospel, it declares redemption. It declares the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 8, it says, In the same region, the region near the city of David, known as Bethlehem, where Mary had given birth to Jesus, there were shepherds out of the field keeping watch over the flock by night. In Greek, the phrase keeping watch literally means watching watches. It, it refers to a watchtower. And, and near Bethlehem was a tower known as Migdal Eder. And that translation in English means the watchtower of the flock. One commentator points this out. He says, here was the station where shepherds watched the flock destined for sacrifice in the temple. It was a settled conviction among the Jews that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem and equally that he was to be revealed from Migdal Eder. See, little did the shepherds who were watching the sheep destined for the temple sacrifice know that the birth of God's Son, the perfect Lamb of God, would be pronounced to them. Why did the angel show himself to these shepherds? These were the shepherds that were overseeing the sheep that were going to be presented in the temple for sacrifice. 
these shepherds, who were considered the lowliest of the lowly in society. In fact, in that time, shepherds were not even allowed to testify in court because they were considered that their word meant nothing. And yet, who does the angel proclaim the message of Christ first to? Shepherds. And so in verse 9, we're told that the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now this phrase, we're filled with great fear, literally means severe distress. Now you can imagine for a moment that one of the reasons would be simply because it's dark outside, this light of glory of God shines around them, and an angel appears to himself. I, I think most of us would be scared too. Right? I mean, walk into a dark room and have somebody you're not expecting there and see what happens, right? I remember years ago, my sister and I and my parents, we were walking in a house that was new. We were looking at moving, and we were looking at this model home. And my sister and I had this great pattern of, of trying to scare one another in dark rooms. And so, lo and behold, my sister found a nice spot in this nice model home to pop out and scare me. The problem was that she didn't hear this other family walk into the house. <laughs> and little did I know, all of a sudden as I'm walking all over this house, I hear this woman scream <laughs> and a thud into the wall and a plop onto the floor. <laughs> and all of a sudden I hear my sister yelling, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, I thought you were my brother. <laughs> My parents coming around the corner, voices elevated, going, is this, are you for, for real? This woman, I kid you not, was seven months pregnant. She had jumped into the wall, hit the wall, and blocked the floor. So you can imagine the terror that my sister had, which I found was quite hilarious, right? So she went to the one bringing the fright to experience the fright, right? So you can imagine the shepherds were terrified by this, this idea of, coming out of nowhere in the midst of the darkness. But here's the other thing. It wasn't simply that the darkness, the light of the darkness, overwhelmed them. It was that they understood the glory of the Lord. And when they were confronted with the glory of the Lord, the distance and the chasm between God and His holiness and them was clear. There was a severe distress and awe that overwhelmed them that they couldn't even be in the presence of God. I think in our own lives, for some, that may be a wrestle for us. How does a loving God and a holy God bring relationship with us? Is there a distance between us? Could God ever forgive me for the sins that are at work within my life? God ever redeemed me? Phrases like, if you only knew who I was. If you only knew the real me. Those are those moments that we stand in the midst of that chasm. And yet, Notice 
what the angel's response was. In verse 10, the angel moves, recognizing the fear that has overwhelmed the shepherds, and he goes, listen, fear not. Right? Now think about that for a moment. You're faced with the, the largest, most insurmountable thing that you've ever seen in terms of, of, of glory, and you're now being told, fear not. Well, in those words, those words would be comforting. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This word, or this phrase, bringing good news in Greek, is the word longalizo, which means to proclaim good news. So the angel tells them not to fear because he's going to proclaim the gospel, which is good news, which will bring joy to all the nations. This is what he's saying. You know what? It's okay. That chasm that you see between God and yourself right now, that fear that you're overwhelmed in the presence of a holy God, I've got good news for you. And that good news is going to produce joy instead of fear. It's going to produce hope instead of despair. And what God desires us to experience is His joy and his hope and his freedom. Not despair and despondency and fear. See, he's telling the shepherds here for a moment to stop and to listen to what he's proclaiming. How many times when you become afraid do you find yourself trying to figure out ways to make that fear stop? In fact, when we're afraid, is our natural response to stop and listen to the Lord? Or is our response to flee and move away? What he's telling them is stop and listen. I have good news that will bring you joy. I have God's gospel for mankind. So what we see here is God's glory revealed in the gospel proclaimed. So what is this gospel? How is God's glory revealed through the gospel? Well, there's three things that we see right away. The first is that God sent His Son into the world. God sent His Son into the world. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Here's what He's saying. The distance between man and God is a result of man's disobedience and sin. And yet, even still, God initiates relationship by sending His Son into the world. That should be something that causes us to glorify God. That's the very thing that brings glory to His name. That God is the one that initiates relationship with us. Sending his son into the world. First John 4 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. Our sin has separated us from God. We're destined to death as a result of sin, eternal death, apart from Christ, apart from God forever. But God sends His Son, Jesus, into the world 
so that we might live. He initiates this relationship. Like, honestly, when we're upset, how often do we say that person needs to come to me? They need to come to me. If they want to get things right, they got to come to me. Jesus. Jesus said in the world again. God said, listen, they're wrong. Guess what? I'm going to show them something rare. I'm going to show them my son. And I sent my son into the world so that they might live. Philippians 2, verses 4 through 11. And I want to encourage you to write that down. Philippians 2. Verses 4 through 11 says this. And it's important because it tells us what Jesus actually did. It says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Who is glorified through Jesus? God is glorified through Jesus. Why? Because God sends his son. And his son humbles himself, fully God and fully man, humbling himself, taking on humanity. And it says that he came as a perfect human sacrifice. He lived by the power of the Spirit. And what it means is that the equality could not be grasped, meaning this. That he did not cling to his, his deity power. He relied on the power of the Spirit to walk in perfection. To walk in righteousness. He got off his throne. And he came down to the people that he moved with. And he died for the people that he moved with. That's a different picture of a king, isn't it? Most kings send people to die for them. What king comes and dies for his people? Jesus humbled himself, got off his throne, and for a time became more lowly than the angels so that he might die for us. This is the son that was sent for us, and that's why we can sing Heart the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mind, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. His birth is real. He has come, and God has sent him. Heart the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. The second thing is that God makes his son known. God's glory is revealed in the gospel proclaimed because God makes his son known. 
Verse 12 says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, God doesn't leave us confused about the Messiah. He doesn't leave us at a place where we're looking and trying to figure out, is this really Him? But He tells us who His Son is, and He is the one that makes His Son known. He is the one that opens our eyes to His truth. And He desires that we have confidence that Jesus is the Messiah. And so the angel says, and this will be a sign for you. In essence, he's telling them how to recognize the Savior. He doesn't send them off and say, go to it, you'll figure it out your own someday. <laughs> he said, let me show you who the Messiah really is. My desire is to make Jesus known. My desire is that you know the Savior Jesus. God's not in the, the business of playing games. It's not, hey, it's a pick em. You've got to go figure it out. you just got to work harder. That old saying that says, God helps those who help themselves, it's nowhere in Scripture. In fact, it's not even biblical. God is the one that is leading and moving, and He is the one that is guiding us, and He is the one that is revealing Himself to us, and He is the one that is making Himself known to us. And God desires that we have confidence in that. That we have confidence that Jesus is exactly who He claims, the Son of God. And because of God's faithfulness, we can trust His Word. And know that Christ is his Son, the Savior King of the world. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Prophecy fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. <coughs> Micah 5.2 adds, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Listen, nobody could have predicted initially that the Savior was going to come from Bethlehem. And yet, the Savior came from Bethlehem. God's word fulfilled. God has made his son known to us. He's made his son known. And so the gospel is comprised of God sending his son into the world. And then it's comprised of God making his son known to us. But then, the thing that brings it all together is that God brings peace between himself and man through his son the third thing, the third way that God is glorified through the gospel. That God brings peace between himself and man through his son. In verse 13 through 14 it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. 
and in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What did Jesus do? He bought peace between God and man. But he even brings peace between man and man. Through his son Jesus. David Guzik points out that even the pagans of the first century world sensed this need for peace and a savior. Epictetus, a first century pagan writer, expressed this when he said, While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns for more than even outward peace. That's profound. This is the peace that Christ is offering. Peace of the heart that we can have salvation with Christ. That we can have unity with him. And it's why we can declare, Hark the herald angels sing. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. He set it down. He came here. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Up the hair of angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You see, the Son, Jesus, brought peace between man and God. He brings peace to a heart that's stirring, that is wondering. What happens with this life and what's the purpose of this life? He brings peace for those who know that there is no way to work towards righteousness apart from anything in themselves, knowing that only something else can bring them the righteousness that they need to be in the presence of the Lord. See, we don't need greater works or greater actions, we need the person of Christ. Because he has done it all. Our culture blends that. Our culture likes to say, how about we dabble a little bit in ourselves and a little bit in God? If we just think it'll happen, it'll happen. If we just come over here and we trust God for part of it, then that'll work. Let me fit God into the scheme of my life and make my plans so that then God can jump on board with what I'm doing. God designed us to be able to rest in his peace that it might be that we seek his plan and submit to him so that he might be the one that is caring and leading us and moving us. It is only through Christ that we have salvation. 1 John 4, 14-16 says this, And we have seen and testify the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. See, experiencing the 
peace of Christ comes when we believe the message of Christ. We believe that He is enough. That we start by confessing and repenting our sin. That we are sinners and acknowledging that and repenting and saying, I'm going a different direction. And now, now I want to go in a direction. My heart, which is flawed and sinful, can only be changed as I put my faith in Christ. As I submit to Him, as I allow Him to lead my life. See, salvation comes through faith, not works. And that faith is in Jesus. The very Jesus that's revealed in Scripture, born in Bethlehem. Going to the cross and dying for our sins. Rising again on the third day, defeating death and ascending into heaven with the promise to return. Colossians 1, 13-14 points out this one thing. I just want us to look at it just for a moment. It says this, verses 13-14. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God delivering us from darkness through the redemptive work of Jesus. That is the peace that comes to man and God through the Son. We are in darkness, and now we're brought into the light. You see this message? You see why the angels then, that this host of angels jumps, and they begin to come forward. They take shape around, and you can imagine seeing this, this multitude of angels singing, Glory! Glory to God in the highest! And on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Who are those that he's pleased with? What does that really mean? It means those who have put their faith in Christ, who have been counted among the righteous, in which he finds pleasure. He is pleased. If I could share with you this morning one thing, who would need to know that Jesus, through the work of the cross, finds pleasure in you if you have repented and believed on him. Too often, we allow our sin or our struggle to define us rather than Christ. And we need to see that it is through the power of Christ that we have life, not through our flesh. And we need to rest and trust in His power to make us new each and every day so that we might become more and more like Him. The second verse says, Christ by his highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Guess what? In Jesus you see God. 
hail the incarnate deity. That this is God in flesh. Jesus is God in flesh. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the new king. So what's God's desired response to the proclaimed gospel? Now that we know what the gospel is, that God sent his son into the world, that he's made him known, and that he brings peace between man and God through his son, the response is one of faith. And that we're to walk in obedience by faith or through faith. In verses 15 through 16, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds believed the proclamation that had been given. And they obeyed God in faith, or they obeyed the proclamation, the gospel, in faith. God desires that we do the same. In fact, it's going to be tough to obey God apart from faith. You ever tried to obey God just for the straight purpose of obeying God? Tough, isn't it? Ever tried to stop something and say, okay, the last time I'm never going to do this. I'll never do this again. Right? Guess what? Often we attempt obedience apart from faith. The faith has to be that we trust in the power of God to change us, not us to change ourselves. It has to be God's power that is working within us to give us the strength to overcome that sin or unrighteousness. See, when we're trusting in ourselves, we're only going to go so far. Ian Thomas, when he speaks of the Christian life and the saving life of Christ, he speaks of it many times as believers. We respond to the gospel of Christ, but then we live. We live as if we're using the same tools that we had before we knew Christ. And he speaks about an obedience that becomes wearying and tiring and all kinds of work. What God has offered is an obedience that comes via faith, where Jesus is the one doing the work to change and twist and shape and move our hearts towards righteousness. Romans 1 5 should be 1 1 through 5 says this. It says that in essence that obedience in Christ cannot come apart from faith. We can't do it on our own apart from Jesus. And this is what it says. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God of power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Obedience comes by faith. The shepherds believed 
the good news. And therefore, because they believed the good news, they went as they were told to go to Bethlehem and to make it known, to find the baby Jesus and to make it known. And so their obedience is actually moved by their faith. It's an utter reliance on God. When I was in college, I worked for United Airlines. And during the winter months, as we were along the water there, along the Oakland, Oakland Estuary and part of the bay, the wind would be so severe that you couldn't push a trailer back into its place to, to, to get it to lock into its hitch. In, in fact, you couldn't drive around the airplane without parts actually getting flipped upside down or onto their sides, if you were careful. And I can remember that there were days where we would have airplanes coming in, and the wind would be pushing so hard that in order to stand, we would be leaning over, but we would be leaning so far over into this wind that if the wind had dropped out, we would have fallen straight up in our face. There was no question about it. But it was the most bizarre thing because the wind was so strong that you could actually put your body at about a 45-degree angle with the wind holding you up. Well, in the same way, we need to have that kind of dependency on Christ. That's what he's asking for is an obedience through faith. Where when we walk with God, our dependency is not in our own strength, but it's in Him completely. These shepherds went. Now remember, these shepherds, they were lowly men. Their word meant nothing. And yet, they were the ones to proclaim the truth. Their word meant nothing, and yet they were the ones to proclaim the truth. The only way that they would be believable is by a work of God. And notice what happens. It says this. In verse 17, after sharing the good news, seeing it and coming, being present, it says, and when they saw it, that this is Jesus lying in the manger, just as had been told by the angel. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So now they had seen it, they believed it to be true, and they shared it. And it goes on, and it says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Our response to the gospel. Our response to the gospel is obedience through faith and sharing the good news. See, the shepherds shared the good news in spite of what they believed to be true about themselves. They shared the good news in spite of what they believed to be true about themselves, that nobody would believe them, that they were too lowly, and this was foolish. what God had said, or what God had revealed. In our own lives, do we feel that sharing our faith is not part of who we are? 
Do we believe that because we're not gifted at evangelism that we're not called to do it? The truth is, is that we are all called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we don't, or when we feel that we're not called and we're not gifted at it, what we're doing is we're looking at our faults and we're looking at our flesh rather than Christ and His purpose and His work. God calls us to do it in His grace and by His grace. It's the essence of the Great Commission. When Jesus ascended into heaven, He told the followers of Christ to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that have been taught. how through the word that God's glory is revealed through the gospel proclaimed. And we've seen how we are to respond to that gospel, to experience his peace and his salvation. But notice what happens when the people have heard the gospel. Notice what happens after the shepherds have shared it. It says that those who had heard it for the very first time wondered. They wondered at what the shepherds had said. For those of you who are here that may have heard the gospel this morning for the first time. Or maybe you've heard the gospel before but you've that is not for me. I want to encourage you to do what those who heard the message that day from the shepherds did. They didn't forget it. They didn't push it off and say, this is uncomfortable to think about. I'll deal with it later. They wondered about all that had been shared by the shepherds. I want to encourage you to wonder about all that has been shared this morning and in God's Word. I want to encourage you to wonder about the gospel. I want to encourage you to seek God, that God might make himself more known to you, and that you might, through humility, allow your heart to be open to him. For those who have responded to the gospel, it's easy at times to think that's just an easy gospel message. I've heard that before. What do I take from that? I want to encourage you. This gospel that Jesus has provided should never become routine and basic. We should treasure the truths of the gospel in our heart the way that Mary has treasured the gospel and we should ponder them what does this say about the God that we serve? A God who sent his son into the world. A God who made his son known. A God who brought peace between himself and man through his son. 
His glory and our salvation. The gospel doesn't become routine, does it? That gospel message that at times seems so basic becomes so rich. Because as we treasure the truth of the gospel and we ponder it in our heart, it tells us so much more about the God that we serve. And reminds us of the love that God had for us in sending His Son to die for us, rising again, overcoming the power of sin, ascending to heaven, and coming again to redeem His people completely. May we go forward this morning singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And as we sing that song, may we listen not simply to the music that's being played, but may we stop and listen to the message that's being proclaimed. That Christ is born, our Savior is here. <laughs> and may God truly be glorified. May He receive glory in us. Amen? Amen. 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 Father, we thank